The World of Dark Ages podcast presents Side Quests, tidbits and inspiration for the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Side Quests. To briefly explain, SideQuest is going to be an addition to the World of Dark Ages podcast, where Peter, myself, or both of us talk about a subject related to the Dark Ages setting. We're hoping to be able to do the main World of Dark Ages podcast every other week as we have so far, and then have a SideQuest episode in between, giving you content every week, but we'll see how it goes and how popular these side episodes are. So, on with the first episode. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. Uh, this first episode is titled Three Things We Wish People Knew About the Middle Ages. Now, obviously, some of you will know one or more of these things, but um, we're assuming that uh, in general these things are unknown. Uh, but before we get started, Peter, how are things going in your end of Scandinavia? Well, it's it's raining, so we, we have that going. Uh, other than that, still pretty much locked down in Corona. Uh, I've been practicing my, my longsword, uh, and it's, it's still fun, and I still have all my limbs. So uh, that's a plus. Uh, yeah, we have so far avoided too much rain, but it's coming. I mean, it's Denmark. Uh, I'm still amazed at how dry this autumn has been. Uh, you also sound a bit different. Yeah, I'm I'm trying a new setup with uh, with a different computer. So hopefully this will uh, uh, we this will will satisfy our uh, our listeners a bit more. <laughs> um, one can only hope. All right, so uh, Peter, what is your first offering? Well, my first offering is that, uh, and I've mentioned this briefly before, and, and it's the fact that uh, the Dark Ages, or, or really any age when you think about it, uh, wasn't as, as dark and grey and brown as it's often depicted in, uh, in modern fiction and especially movies and TV series and stuff like that. Uh, I've, I mentioned that... Um, there's a lot of ways to dye uh, wool because that was the main fabric that was used in uh, for clothes uh, back in the dark ages and, and medieval times uh, and uh, n- so so you did have fairly fancifully uh, dyed clothes uh, but you also had uh, other forms of, of decorations on uh, basically uh, everything from furniture to uh, to to bags to to everything that was made of leather was probably uh, decorated in in one way uh, or the other because uh, now today uh, leather uh, is is usually just plain and and uh, and smooth and and that's kind of the aesthetic that we like but uh, back in the days if if you look at the actual finds uh, people decorated the hell out of them just by uh, scoring uh, lines and dots and and simple geometric patterns. Um, so and and if there's um, if if uh, anyone is familiar with the Mary Rose uh, uh, ship, uh, ah yeah, uh, that, wreckage, that one. Uh, they they found a lot of uh, leather material um, that had been preserved in the mud. It was a ship that sank in the 1540s. Uh, and uh, it's, it has a lot of stuff preserved. Uh, and if you look at the knife sheets, for example, uh, that they found a lot of because people had knives back then for everything from eating yeah. to, uh, to working stuff, uh, you can see that 
a lot of uh, or most of them have like very simple decorations that you could do yourself basically if you're sitting around being bored on your on, on your watch shift or whatever uh, and uh, what's interesting about those is that a lot of them are actually not really that pretty you can you can tell that it's obviously uh, uh, not a professional who has done them and and so you can have like lines that are um, very not not very symmetric and and they're just horribly done and uh, some of them are too deep so they have um, almost damaged the, the actual knife sheet and stuff like that uh, but people didn't care they did it anyway because they they wanted decorations um, and I think, oh, sorry, you were going to say something? No, no, oh. I, I was just going to say that, yeah, um, this this whole idea of it all being plain and utilitarian, mm -hmm. people had a lot of time on their hands, yeah. and they weren't just going to sit around twiddling their thumbs. No, exactly, and so, so you have... Um, I don't know how many of them you have preserved down in, in Denmark, but up here in Sweden we have a lot of, like, uh, houses and... Um, and, and mansions and and tiny little huts from like the, the 18th century and you can oh see yeah we uh, we have a, quite a few of those we have a, an entire museum um, mm. which is basically dedicated to the the buildings uh, of say the 17th to 19th century and we actually we have a few um, we have a few um, farmhouses that yeah, have been exactly. imported from Sweden. Uh, oh, cool. <laughs> which are actually, and they're amusingly enough, they're they're a bit more decorated than the Danish ones are. Oh, I think we okay. might have been a bit more uh, uh, Puritan than the Swedes oh, were. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so if you go to the to those houses, take a look at the furniture and at the walls, even because they're often quite beautiful, decorated, if nothing else, with with simple floral patterns painted on the wood. Uh, so and so so that's what you did because again plain surfaces are kind of boring and uh, as you mentioned people did had a lot of spare time when they uh, didn't do anything or, or didn't have anything else to do so what do you do we we all know how it was back in in school when when you're doodling in your notebook I was thinking the, the exact people. same thing yeah and and so you have that as well and especially with with the kind of workers that do a lot of sitting around, like for instance, sailors on a ship when uh, when they're not on their watch, uh, soldiers sitting around in a camp. Uh, you have trench art from from the First World War, uh, and and that came about from people just sitting around doing artwork from empty um, uh, gun shells and and basically scrap lying around and. I'd be damned if people in the 14th century sitting around in a camp or during a siege or whatever didn't do the same thing. So, so that's that's my first point is that uh, the Dark Ages was was probably a lot more decorated and and beautiful uh, than it's depicted um, in in modern uh, modern media. And and of course we must remember that all of the all of the ruins or the buildings that we have from them, the ruins, so they didn't look like that back when they were actually used. No, a, a really great example are the um, the statues, we're going a bit further back here, but mm. statues from, from Greece and especially Rome, we yeah. know that they weren't the, the stock white marble that we mm. see today. We know that they were painted. Yeah. So uh, and, the people... 
Yeah, sorry. Sorry, go, go. No, you go, you go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just uh, saying that that um, uh, if you look at old ships um, from the yeah ninth, tenth century up to the to the big warships of of the seventeenth uh, and eighteenth century, they they had uh, wood carvings as well, and they those were also uh, painted. So so not even wood were left um, in in its natural state, so to speak. No. Um, yeah, I, I really like that because it's it's also a pet peeve of mine, this whole thing with uh, everything being brown and, and gray and, and as they uh, as they sometimes, uh, as they say in um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, how can you tell he's the king? Well, yeah. he hasn't got shit all over him. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Uh, my first thing is this. Slaves were still a thing in Europe in the Middle Ages or mm. at least in the period covered by Dark Ages, so 1197 to 1242. Once you get into the 14th century, slaves almost disappear in Europe, but in 1197, they're certainly a thing, and in 1242, you can still find them the further east you go. Uh, so basically, the church forbids Christians from having other Christians as slaves. So mm. in order to get slaves, a non-Christian population is needed. In Western and Central Europe, this uh, did not mean... Um, Muslim lands, since the Byzantine Empire was kind of in the way. Instead, they looked to the Slavic East, where the population was still pagan. And in fact, the word slave comes from Slavic, since yeah. these people represented the vast majority of slaves. Yeah. Uh, and as an aside, the Danish, and I assume also the Swedish language, has an alternate word for slave, yeah. Tral. Uh, yeah, you, I, you have the same role in, in English. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, because the Scandinavian people of the Viking Age took anyone they defeated as slaves. Mm. So the word slave for slave only entered the language later, though it's now the most common word used for slave in Scandinavian languages. So yeah. that, that shows you where they came from. Yeah. Um, in, but anyway, in, sorry. Yeah, in Sweden, I, I'm just mentioning that, that um, thraldrum was finally forbidden uh by the king Magnus Eriksson in 1335, it was probably it had probably gone away a bit before then, but it was still technically legal at least until the the beginning of the 14th century. So yeah, that that shows you quite a bit uh, of how long it remained as a constitution in in Scandinavia at least. Yeah, and then slavery returned later mm. in uh in uh, at least in denmark in our overseas colonies um so anyway the um the problem for those who wanted to own slaves was that christianity is an expanding uh proselytizing religion and so as more and more land in the pagan east was conquered uh, the people were more or less forcefully converted leading to less and less pagans that could be enslaved. Yeah. By 1242, places like France and England doesn't really have slaves simply because they would have to be transported too great a distance, especially after the Christian conquest mm. of Iberia pressed the Muslims far to the south of the peninsula. Now, there are, of course, Jews, and there were Jewish slaves, though that practice began to die out shortly after the import of Slavic slaves did. Uh, but still, in the newly conquered territories in Prussia and the Baltics, you would still have a slave trade even in 1242, though a waning one. Generally, slaves became less and less desirable since they were costly and eventually the proliferation of serfdom and the rise in population in Western and Central Europe among the peasants meant that cheap labor was readily available and more easily available. 
so to sum up, in 1197 you would certainly see slaves all over Christendom, uh, mainly Eastern pagans, though also some Jews and Muslims. By 1242, slaves are mainly confined to the eastern part of Christian Europe. So obviously, Canaanites are going to have a great deal of interest in slaves. You can make money trading in slaves. You can ensure yourself a good blood supply simply yeah. by buying slaves, though they were not cheap. And some Brugia are likely to be interested in ending slave trade and freeing slaves. Yeah, exactly. I was I was just thinking that that's a handy blood supply to have. have. If, if you just need a snack, then you can go down and... Um, grab one of your thralls basically yeah and with that peter i turn it over to your second entry yeah and my second entry is that uh people weren't stupid back in the in the medieval times or dark ages as as you sometimes people didn't know about bacteria and that means that they're stupid or they they couldn't build or do stuff but that's that doesn't mean that they were less intelligent uh, it just means that they had less of a, a collected experience and knowledge to work from. Uh, and, and if you look what people actually did with what they had back then, uh, it's really impressive. And, and some of it, or, or even quite a lot of it, is, is stuff that uh, we as modern people don't even think about. Um, so, for example, that... Uh, we, it's you, you often hear or you hear that that people lived uh, were were a lot more self self sustainable that a farm had you you had your own uh, grains and you had got your own meat and and fish and stuff like that uh, but it was more than than just what you could grow yourself uh, you you also kind of um, well I guess you could say that you you also kind of cultivated uh, the, the wilderness around you. So, for example, uh, a medieval forest, at least one that was nearby a settlement, wouldn't be this completely untamed land because what you did was that you probably you, you went out into the forest and at least if you had a landowner's permission, you could look around and see that, okay, here's, here's a bunch of, of uh, hazel bushes growing. Uh, cool, we need that because we can eat it and we can use the, the shells from the nuts to uh, dye uh, wool uh, and other stuff. So, and yeah, and ink. And ink yeah. Uh, and so I, I found that out uh, this Tuesday, oh. actually, that you could make ink from that uh, quite randomly. And I thought, mm, I, I need to keep oh, yeah, that in yeah. mind. Uh, so, no, so what you did was, was basically you, you kind of had it like, like a garden that that if you notice that okay here's this thing growing then i'm gonna remove all the weeds and and okay here are the herbs that are good for uh for cooking or or whatever so i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure that those grow and i might cut down this little tree or i might uh, do this with that uh, and so that when it came time for for example, if you needed berries uh, in in the autumn, then you you would know that okay, I will go to this place because this is where I've made sure that the blueberries grow. For example, um, so so they and and I don't think anyone today, at least not here in Europe, uh, has that kind of of knowledge or expertise. Uh, and no, it's I mean it's it's one of my wife's pet peeves. Actually, she can get really annoyed when people assume that um, people in in historical episodes were were stupid simply because they lacked the same level yeah. of knowledge of things that we do, uh, things that we consider important to know about. But you know, put me down in a 
13th century farm and i would die yeah, within a week if if not from all the diseases and stuff like that then then <laughs> probably diarrhea uh but yeah but but yeah exactly and and if you look at at uh, machinery um you can still that they uh, you can see that they they still had the the same basic knowledge of uh, mechanical principles uh, as we uh, use today uh, it's just that they had much simpler technology uh, for example i've been sailing quite a bit on a 18th century um, east india man which is this huge uh, three-masted um, full rigger uh, and it, and and it has a lot of, of lines and ropes going around uh, on it uh, and the the steering mechanism for the rudder is actually quite complicated uh, but if you look at the ship from say the the 14th century uh, the principle of of how you control the rudder uh, is is quite similar it's it's just that uh, in in the 14th century you have a, a, a t ford basically and in the 18th century you you have um, a land rover uh, like it's it's the same thing, mm. but it's just been evolved and refined, uh, and you could see. Yeah, and you can you can draw a line all the way back th to yeah. the Middle Ages with a lot of the things that we have today. There is a natural uh, mm. involvement exactly, that. and and you can see um, in when when you build cathedrals, you have um, uh, basically ferret wheel or, or hamster wheels that people could. Uh, could walk in to, uh, to basically operate elevators, and and those uh, operated on the uh, on the basis of of uh, very simplistic uh, cogs. Uh, so you you did know about the transfer of power between uh, bigger and smaller um, cogs, for example. So so you had all these things, and and of course everyone knows what a, a lever is, uh, because that's the simplest mechanic uh, mechanical device there mm. is. So yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. People weren't stupid. They they just didn't have the extra five hundred years of technology and experience to work from. No, uh, awesome. Uh, so my second thing is this: uh, understand the sword, and that uh, just like you had with uh, with the Browns and the Greys, this is uh, something that we can sort of lay at the foot of the entertainment mm. industry. Firstly, the sword was not the primary weapon nope. of the knight. That mm. was the lance. The sword was a sidearm carried by a knight to be used once he could no longer perform mm. a lance charge. Secondly, the sword was not the be-all and end-all of a knight's sidearms. Plenty of knights used axes or yep. maces. While all knights could certainly use a sword, the thing is, a sword is not as good as an axe or a mace at penetrating armor. Uh, now, in, in 1197, a heavy sword could still do a decent job against mail armor, but by 1230 and certainly 1242, swords struggled, and as a result, the patterns made during this time went from heavy choppers to uh, slightly lighter and more nimble blades, since they weren't expected to cut yeah. through mail. And at the same time, armor became more and more prevalent mm. on the battlefield. Now, swords were still dangerous weapons, especially against someone wearing armor lighter than male, but knights were expected to come up against heavily armored yeah. opponent other knights, and so would just as often choose a weapon that would do some damage through armor, like a mace mm. or an axe. Yeah. Now, swords were uh, prized 
by knights as symbols. Uh, put a sword point down and you have a cross. And swords were expensive, less so in 1242 than in 1197. But they were still not cheap weapons, and so they were status yeah. symbols. And swords can be wielded with more finesse than a mace or an axe. Uh, these are the reasons why you see swords uh, so much in movies, TV shows, etc. We associate them with heroes and yeah. leaders, uh, and they look flashy when used. And for a vampire who's not going to find themselves on the battlefield, the sword is the perfect yeah. sidearm. They're more comfortable to wear than an axe or a mace. They're quite deadly against unarmored opponents, and they're very maneuverable, so you can parry uh, with them more easily, which is a good thing when you don't have yeah, a shield. Yeah, exactly. So, so you you touch on a very important subject that, and that that is the the word of the sidearm, which means it's something you d that you can carry by your side all the time. Uh, and and you see yeah. the same thing in in later times when it becomes more common for for people to actually wear swords. Um, not not every day, but again as a statue symbol if you go around town, or um, which was quite common uh, if you're out traveling, then a sword is quite uh, handy to have as a self-defense weapon because it's uh, you're you're probably not going to be attacked by a, a bunch of fully armed uh, knights, <laughs> so so you don't need something that can go through. Uh, mail and and padded armor um, and and stuff like that, uh, but a sword can be used uh, to to fend off any any bandits or or ruffians trying to block your path. Um, exactly. And, and, and another thing that I think is quite interesting is that uh, at around this time the uh, the falchion the the curved kind of uh, big choppy uh, sword. Uh, it was it, it was still quite popular uh, because at around this time you you did have quite a bit of uh, peasant rebellions uh, and so if if you are a nobleman who knows that you're going out uh, to fight a bunch of mostly unarmored opponents then a falchion is uh, is probably your best bet or or at least a good bet because that can chop through um, fabrics and and cloth. Uh, uh, probably a lot better than than a straight sword that is is more pointed and uh, yeah, it, adapted towards um, uh, armor, uh, defeating armor. Yeah, if you look at at the falchion, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the falchion was a new type of sword that was coming around, uh, sort of in the beginning to mid thirteenth century. And the early falchion, the Cluny falchion, and the um, I can't remember the other oh, yes, one, Conyers yeah. falchion, uh, they they looked they looked kind of like almost comically oversized uh, machetes and later they would become very curved and have all sorts of of, of shapes but um, an analysis of the edges on the surviving falchion shows that the edge was very very fine the kind of edge that would be completely chewed up if you ever used it against mm. metal but which was optimized as you said for going yeah. through fabric um, and so yeah that um, that was that was a, a popular weapon for um, for taking care of it if if the peasants yeah. were revolting and, and you see the same thing as well if if uh, um, you fast forward a bit that a lot of the popular uh, self defense weapons for uh, for peasants like the Bauernwehr and and the German Messers they they operate basically on the big on, on the same principle of of being uh, very large, uh, n not necessarily that long weapons, but they, they still have quite a, a wide but 
often quite uh, thin uh, blade, uh, often slightly curved. Uh, they do have a, a sharp point for stabbing, but it's still mostly for uh, for for chopping through uh, cloth and the neighbor that you don't like. <laughs> yeah, uh, right, Peter. Uh, your yeah, last thing. Uh, interesting that you started talking about swords and battle because my my final point is that um, if if you look at um, your your average uh, fantasy or medieval movie and you have a battle scene and you have the hero heroically chopping through the the uh, all all opposition and there are dead people everywhere and and as soon as you are hit by any kind of weapon you are immediately dead uh, and and, oh, and the yeah. thing is that of course people did die from uh, in in wars and battle and stuff like that but it's it wasn't nearly as deadly as uh, hollywood would make you think um because in the end there wouldn't really be anyone left to fight the wars if if 90% of participants died in their first battles uh so uh so it's i i don't have any exact numbers from from casualties from uh from this period uh i did find some sources regarding roman legions that said that their uh their average casualty rate and remember casualty doesn't necessarily mean dead people but injured and wounded uh their their average casualty rate per year in a legion uh was about 1.5 to 2 percent uh and this did mm. include legions that didn't fight in any battles they could just be garrisoned for a while so it could be accidents or diseases or stuff like that uh but i also found numbers on that um if it was a battle that a legion won, uh, the casualty rate could be as high as f- between four and five percent, and if they lost, they it it went up even higher to about sixteen percent. So, uh, excuse me. <coughs> um, I I don't know where I heard this, but I I think at some point I heard uh, some mention in the Middle Ages that uh, a twenty five percent loss was considered like a yeah, slaughter, uh, a, a complete and utter annihilatory yeah. slaughter. Uh, exactly. So, so because people people didn't want to die, and and it's it's the old uh, saying of it's it's better to retreat and fight again than to get your head chopped off. Uh, and and so of course yeah. we do have these battles that aren't necessarily huge by modern standards, but are we're people are still pretty much killed to the last man. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to bring up uh, the Battle of Visby, uh, since that uh, that's, was in 1361, and it was uh, the Danish uh, King Valdemar invaded the Swedish island of Gotland. Which he shouldn't uh, have done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, it, it, he did get away with it, and, and in he brought uh, an, an army of between 1,800 and 2,000 mostly German mercenaries. And again, 2,000 people uh, in this time is quite a bit, especially if you're, um, if you're uh, remembering that this is during the height of uh, the bubonic plague. Yeah, uh, Black I think people under uh, people vastly overestimate how many soldiers mm-hmm. were used in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Uh, as a side note, I I went to a lecture once where, um, and I think it's 
a Swedish king in the uh, early 13th century when when one of the popes is declaring uh, a new uh, crusade and the Swedish king replies that well I do have these 40,000 knights and I would just love to come and uh, and help you uh, defeat the, the Saracen but unfortunately I have some problems here at home so I can't uh, I can't help you this time sorry uh, the thing is that if you had 40,000 knights or just 40,000 soldiers you could easily just spare half of them conquering your way through Europe down to yeah. Jerusalem uh, and still have enough soldiers to <laughs> to defeat any opposition I was so, just wondering where the hell did he get forty thousand knights yeah, from? <laughs> so, so apparently, according to to the the lecturer, uh, adding zeros in numbers was uh, w- was kind of popular because it just looks because after a certain point, no one really knows how uh, how how many more people those extra zeros would actually add. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to add a few zeros because it looks good and I'm a king. So, of course, I'm going to have lots of people. Uh, so so anyway, back, back to the uh, Danish invasion of Gotland. Uh, the Danish king had uh, had about uh, 2,000 soldiers. Uh, and he, uh, at first, at, at one battle, he uh, faced an opposition of about 1,500 um Peasant, the uh, Gotland is a goodish, I think they say, uh, peasants with with crossbows who managed to fend them off. Uh, but then the the peasants were flanked, and pretty much everyone was massacred. Uh, and then a few days later, uh, in a battle just outside the city of Visby, uh, the the locals had managed to scrounge up about two thousand more uh, soldiers, and most of them. Uh, got killed uh, as well, along with about 300 Danish troops. Uh, and and this is noticeable because basically everyone died. So it's uh, it's not the numbers itself, but as you mentioned, that it's anything over a quarter of the, the uh, participants dead, that's a slaughter. And this was basically everyone. Uh, and if if this was the norm, then people wouldn't wouldn't fight battles because you wouldn't have anyone left to fight them. There wouldn't be anyone uh, left to till the soil. There wouldn't be yeah, anyone exactly. left to do any work. It would be the disintegration yeah, exactly. of society. Be- yeah, because the people fighting were quite often uh, were were quite often the peasants, and and that was also a problem that you kind of had to time your military campaigns because. Sven is going to say that, but I'm going to need to go and till my my fields and or or pick the apples or whatever. And if you don't let him do it, people are going to starve. <coughs> so, <clears throat> uh, so again, I I don't I haven't really found any uh, concrete numbers of of what is quote unquote the standard number of casualties in a medieval battle, but people people kind of give up and realize that, okay, we, we've lost this battle, but if we retreat, uh, then we can fight again another day, or at least we can negotiate and say that, yeah, we put up a pretty good fight and, and you don't want to lose any more men and we don't want to lose any more men, so let's sit down and negotiate. Uh, so so that's kind of, of the point uh, I wanted to make, that uh, the, the scenes that you see where... Um, everyone uh, gets gets killed and and especially the fact that 
people don't stop fighting on, until they actually get killed is very misleading because if if you as a normal peasant if if you get an arrow uh, to the knee possibly <laughs> uh, then then you're not going to be able to do anything uh, for that for for probably the rest of that battle because uh, an arrow to the knee or or if you, maybe your arm gets broken by a mace uh, then then you're not going to participate so you and your other uh, your your other wounded people are gonna like okay yeah we're gonna we're gonna go back now so keep on fighting and if uh, let us know if we need to get the fuck out of here yeah um, and so... also with with um, especially knights uh, mm. there was uh, there was money to be made from not killing yeah. them but just making them surrender so that they could pay ransom so even yeah. there you had a vested interest in not killing your enemies if they turned out to be wealthy. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know if we're running over time, but just just mentioning knights as well, because, again, you don't necessarily have to be physically injured, because if you have an armor, it uh, doesn't really matter the, uh, the time period, but if, if you have a good armor that protects you from actually getting hurt, you're still getting beaten around like you've gone... 15 rounds against Mike Tyson and and sooner or later you're just going to to say that fuck it I'm I'm going home I have wives and wine at home I'm yeah. I'm not going to to bother anymore so you don't actually have to kill your opponent or even injure them to be able to defeat them and in some cases like you mentioned you don't want to kill your opponent mm. Cool so my last offering is this there were no central languages there were just dialects so in Denmark, we have something called Riesdansk, which directly translated means realm Danish. It is standard Danish, the Danish that we use for, say, government documents and so on. I guess you have something similar in Sweden? Yes, Riksvenskan. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's the same word. It's the same, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in America, there is, of course, the newsreader English. And in general, all over the world, regional dialects are disappearing and uh, languages are becoming more and more homogenous. My maternal grandparents spoke Danish with a Funan accent and my paternal grandparents spoke South Jutlandic. But my generation, the ones born in the 70s, rarely have a regional dialect. Now, the reason for this is the proliferation of media with sound, uh, radio, movies, and especially television. Mm. And obviously, they did not have this in the Middle Ages. So dialects did not get uh, smoothed out and homogenized. You had dial dialectic variations on every language, sometimes so varied that people had trouble understanding each other. In yeah. fact, and I know this could be controversial to say, given we have a, a fair number of Scandinavian listeners. At this point, Danish, Swedish and Norwegians were more dialects of the same language than they were separate languages. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we, uh, it's, it's, it's probably something that we can argue about today. But back then, no, it, it was dialects. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but as I said, languages varied a lot. Nobody spoke German. They spoke Plattdeutsch or Hochdeutsch or Frisian. Every yeah. region had its own dialects, and even those dialects had dialects. People could always tell if you were from the region, and locals could certainly tell if you were from two towns over rather than from one of the nearby villages. Even Latin isn't just Latin. There's Vulgar Latin and Church Latin, and even the Church Latin varies by region. 
And since Latin is the lingua franca of Canite society in Europe at this time, I'm thinking there's actually a Canite dialect as well. Now, obviously, Ooh, that's an interesting idea. I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that um, the, the, the uh, Latin that Canites in, in Europe speak is uh, based on Vulgar Latin from the Roman Empire, and mm. then it has evolved in the years since the fall of the Roman Empire. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, this is too complicated and nitty-gritty for most games to model, and I'm certainly not going to start insisting that characters in a Dark Ages <laughs> game I run decide what specific dialect of a language yeah. uh, they know. Um, but it could be interesting uh, to just ask people what dialect of, say, French or German their character has so yeah. that others with uh, some knowledge of languages can tell where they're from. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was my last one. Yeah, well, you you make a very good point, especially since you bring up uh, French in the end, because uh, at this uh, time in in England, uh, the nobility still spoke French because it was the the Norman invaders. Yeah, uh, and they spoke from... Norman French, which yeah, exactly. of course was separate from the um, French that they spoke uh, around Ile de France and and Paris, which was yeah. then different from Provencal French. Yeah. So, so yeah, you, you do raise a very interesting point. And, and like you said as well, that you, you mechanically in the game, French should still be French, unless you really want to make a thing out of it. But, uh, but it's, it's um, uh, yeah, I, I, a very interesting topic that you bring up uh, because, uh, of course, one of the main problems with, uh, with a non-standardized language uh, is uh, writing it down. So uh, and and of course, if you don't have a non-standardized way of uh, writing stuff, that's going to make it even more difficult to have a standardized uh, way of speaking it. Uh, for example, there there are a set of, of letters written in the uh, 1700s. I think it was or maybe early 1800s. Uh, by a young um, Swedish uh, noblewoman, uh, and in just one letter, she spells the name of a city uh, three times, and they're all different. <laughs> uh, so, so that means, of course, that there wasn't a standardized way of, of writing it, uh, and uh, and this, of course, causes problems because if if you learn a, a language or, or a new word just by reading it, you don't really know how to pronounce it, especially if it's written differently or uh, more than once. So, if if yeah, it's written I, in I Danish, like because we don't write things the way we say them. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, I, I really like the idea with, with the Canite uh, Latin uh, dialect. Mm. Um, and, and then, of course, you could probably have like the, the, the older vampires show off how ancient and um, uh, how high status they have because they still speak with the same accents that you did back in the first century BC or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. So uh, I hope you have enjoyed our little interlude here and that you learned something new and interesting, perhaps something you can use in your future games, either as a storyteller or a player. Peter, any last comments? No, I'm uh, not not really. I'm I'm kind of curious uh, of uh, things that our listeners uh, uh, know that uh, they want to share with other people, like s small tidbits and trivia about uh, uh, 
history that uh, they want to share with the rest of us. Well, yeah, uh, that sounds really interesting. If any of you listeners have anything that you think this might be very uh, obscure trivia about the Middle Ages, we have a Facebook group where you can uh, put it, the World of Dark Ages podcast on Facebook. Uh, Pop it in there and let's have a discussion about it. Uh, Next week, it is another look at a Dark Ages book. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time. Bye.